Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Visual Wow, the podcast for people passionate about live events. We're obsessed with creating and capturing those wow moments. This is the place the top pros come to share their secrets. Now, here's your host, Jack Hartsman. Hi, I'm Jack Hartsman, and welcome back to the broadcast. And today I am very thrilled to announce that uh, my good friend and working colleague for many, many years, Mark Zucker from Zookbinders Inc., Chicago ILL, is here with us. Mark, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jack. I know that we have uh, dilly-dallied in a lot of things together over the years, but I just want to set the record straight that for my nearly 40-year career, uh, I could pretty much say that the, the Zook name uh, has been attached to probably more than 95% of the albums that I have been creating since uh, since probably 1980. First with your dad's company, uh, working with Capri Albums, and then following you through to Chicago when you opened up Zookbinders, I think uh, around 95, somewhere in the mid-90s. Is that accurate? 95, exactly. Well, listen, uh, you have been the backbone of my business for, for, as I mentioned, nearly four decades. And uh, I'm thrilled to uh, bring you on the show and talk about what you have been up to. Uh, you have been a leader, uh, a pioneer in many ways in the album industry uh, for wedding photographers uh, globally. And uh, I, I know a decade or so ago, you started pivoting into some other things. Uh, we're now dealing in the, in the new COVID world. Uh, what has Zookbinders been up to? How did, uh, how did, what happened to your business in March when the world shut down? Well, we were in denial for about a week and we were hoping that Illinois would be one of these states that would be allowed to open. And then towards the end of the month, we got the, the cease, the cease and desist order. So we ended up being closed for nine weeks. And, uh, the biggest, you know, the, the hardest part of that was all the uncertainty, you know, trying to forecast, well, when will we open? And when we do, what will the new reality look like? And how is this all going to work? And uh, how did your employees take it? I mean, you've got a big staff. Um, tell me how much communication you have with them during those months. We were very proactive with them. And we, we knew there was talk early on in Washington about some kind of relief for companies and some enhanced unemployment for employees. And we said to them, look, we've got a veteran team. Many of them have been with us 15, 18 years. They trust us. And we said, look, we're going to do everything we can to, to weather the storm. We're, we're going into this in a pretty good cash position. So we're not quitting, but there's going to be a little bit of uncertainty. And I think we're all going to take a punch in the nose and we're all going to share in that. Well, I know that you and I reached out to each other a couple of times during April and May and just kind of We've always used each other as a barometer in business. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure I came to you out of the gate and I said, now that people have time on their hands to sit at home and finally look at their pictures, which they never have time to do, uh, we've got people lining up to have, uh, to have albums designed and, and processed and, and bound. And, and a couple of things really hit my studio right in, right in the nose, as you said, or almost busting my teeth out where we have no revenue coming in the door. And we need albums designed. My book binder is closed down. And uh, I, I honestly didn't know what to do. How, what have you been hearing from other photographers? I would say that there was everything from, okay, this is only going to last for a few weeks till utter panic. The world is coming to an end. And I found myself, at least half my conversations were trying to talk my clients off the ledge because I'm an eternal optimist and just kept this is back in March and April and May when 
brides were starting to move events forward. You know, the, the April weddings were moving to June and July. And of course we know they ended up moving again and again. I just said to them, look, there's going to be a lot of Wednesday, Thursday, Friday weddings in the fall. It's going to be a crazy fall. We're all going to be exhausted. And if it doesn't happen in the fall, it's going to happen in 2021, but there's still going to be business coming in. We just have to find ways to survive the next three to six months. So Mark, one of the things that I've always loved about our relationship is uh, first and foremost is the candor. Um, I've always looked at you as a, a guy with uh, kind of an insight on what's coming down the pike. Uh, I, I've always loved your optimism because I also walk on the sunny side of the street. And um, I remember talking at a, probably a WPPI convention uh, back in the mid 2000s, you were kind of seeing the writing on the wall on how the digital world was changing. I know that has since then morphed into a whole new line of work way outside of, of uh, bookbinding. Tell me about your new program. So, the, you know, the digital disruption, I mean, everybody's got a different idea of when it hit. When we, we really felt it starting in 08, we went from growing every year, having significant growth to flatlining and then an organic decrease every year. So what we started doing, we were hit with all of a sudden in 09, okay, we had our first flat year, we had our first down year. And oh, by the way, there's less demand for the product and there's more competition. So that means we can no longer raise our prices. The cost of doing business continues to increase two, three, four percent How are we going to make this work going forward? And so I was lucky enough to have a COO who is not only incredibly smart, but is originally from the Philippines. And she had suggested to me that the album design service that we just launched, in which we hired five designers in Chicago at $17 an hour. And she said to me, you know, the, gra- the Philippines is a hotbed for graphic design. We could hire those same people overseas for $18,000 a year, save the company $24,000 per designer, which I'm doing the quick math going, okay, that's $120K. That'll more than make up for any loss of revenue and any cost of increased business. So we started outsourcing really as a defensive measure because we were struggling to figure out how we were going to t- maintain our margins going forward. Well, that that is, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking about it because I, I, I get who your COO is and I get how that all comes to pass. And I'm still scratching my head. How in the world did you take that first step? I mean, that's not a little step you're talking about here. Uh, we are <laughs> we, we, we are very customer focused, but we also keep an eye on the financials and I pay very close attention to them. And, and you know, this industry always had decent margins, but all of a sudden, if we didn't make these changes in one year, we were going from a profitable company to an, I don't want to say an unprofitable company, but just being flat. And then also because of what was happening in the industry, I'm forecasting a year later going down another 5% in revenue, another 2 to 4% increase in expenses with raises and whatnot. It was just unsustainable. So honestly, you know, I, I know you're trying to give me credit for making a bold move, but it was really a, a, a move out of necessity. Well, I'll tell you, I, this is going to come around. I hope it doesn't bite, my, bite me in my own butt, but uh, I, I remember our, our initial conversations about this in, in the late 2000s or, or like 09 and 2010. And I I honestly thought you were making a horrible decision. 
uh, cards on the table. I'm not a big guy about understanding uh, outsourcing. I'm not a, I'm a very untrusting guy when it's, uh, uh, you know, giving my work to anybody else to do it for me. I've, when, when I started in this business, I was a photographer that still had a dark room in his office as a, as a uh, photographer in the digital era. I've still got big printers in my office. Uh, I design all my own albums in house. I'm really nervous about letting go. And I, I think a lot of photographers are, I'm really nervous about letting go. You saw the fact that this was going to be a necessity in the future. Tell me about the new company. What's the name of the company? What are you actually offering? And is it just for photographers? So, so we started, let me, I'll, I'll just finish my foray into outsourcing. We started with five album designers a year later, we had three high-level software developers at our company. We moved one overseas, then the second. And then little by little over the years, we moved customer service and pre-press and accounting. And it, you know, it was just every year we did it as we had attrition or change of you know, employees were leaving or whatnot. It just made sense. And it got to the point where four years ago, we looked around and we said, we've got 20 people supporting our back office in the Philippines. There's only five of us left in Chicago, really just key personnel and department leads. So at that point, I would go to trade shows and I would run into other vendors that I would know. And they'd say, I don't understand. All these album companies are going out of business. All the labs are going out of business. Photographers are moving out of their studios back into their home. How are you guys still doing okay? And I said, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you our secret sauce. It's real simple. We do a lot of outsourcing. And I counted recently... If these 20 people overseas were at our office in Chicago, our payroll would be about $500,000 higher. At $500,000 higher, we're not in business anymore. So I had a lot of other vendors going to me, well, tell me about this. How do I get involved? You know, this seems to be working well. And then my COO and I, Cherry, she, we, we decided to start our own outsource business to really help other U.S. companies go through, through the same navigate through the same challenges that we were navigating from. So the, the second part of the question, Jack, is it started out as mostly helping companies in the photo industry because that's where we had a lot of expertise, photo editing, video, video editing, et cetera. Now we're doing more work outside the industry, whether it's bookkeepers, customer service reps, animators, data entry, virtual assistants, pretty much any job that can be done on a permanent basis remotely, which it seems like in COVID, almost everything is now remote, whether we want to or not, can be performed offshore. Well, I, I hope this comes out right, but what does Mark Zucker, Jack Hartsman, and Maryland Governor Hogan have in common? Uh, amazingly strong women in our lives that have international roots that, uh, when possible, come in extremely handy uh, to, to further the cause, whatever it may be. I mean, uh, Monica's ability, uh, being Peruvian and being fluent in Spanish and Portuguese, I can't tell you how often that's come in handy. Uh, when I was traveling as a international corporate photographer, uh, for several years, she came along as a, as a Spanish and Portuguese translator when we were working in Latin America and when we were working in, uh, in Spain, uh, Governor Hogan, Governor Hogan, when COVID kicked in and the whole world shut down and nobody could get a hold of 
testing and, and all that kind of stuff. He had a Korean, he has a Korean wife and he reached out to uh, South Korea uh, directly in native tongue from one person to another. And Marilyn was way ahead of the curve because of that. And it looks like your COO, it looks like Cherry did the, you know, with her connections to the Philippines was a really great asset for you. And it looks like it's developed into something spectacular. Um, I will personally say that, uh, I came to you several, uh, about a month and a half ago with a video project. Uh, my videographers or my video team in, in my studio are, uh, either furloughed right now, or when they're not furloughed, have too much on their plate at one time. And I, I said, Hey, let, let's, let's give this a try. And your team did an incredible video edit for me for a virtual wedding that we did back in June. And uh, the same guy that was super skeptical 10 years ago, uh, you made a believer out of me. You, you absolutely made a believer out of me. And I absolutely see uh, my studio once COVID uh, kind of gets under control and life comes back to normal. I can absolutely see uh, hiring your back office to take over some of my work because I'm not going to have the revenue to, to work under the same margins that I used to. I got to cut costs somewhere to survive. Right. I mean, you know, it makes a lot of sense. You know, we saw the movement of outsourcing. It started with manufacturing. When, when you and I were kids, things were made in Japan, then it progressed to China. And we've, we've now accepted that pretty much any durable good from a bicycle to a refrigerator is made overseas. And it's just taken a little bit of time for office work to move over. It really started with the airlines and the big credit card companies 15 years ago when we first noticed that the accents were a little different when we called United Airlines or Citibank. And what our company does, because Cherry and I are small business entrepreneurs, we're out helping small businesses. We're not helping large corporations. It's mostly small businesses that need help. And because we understand small business, we also act as advisors and we can say, hey, these are jobs that can be outsourced and these really should stay in-house, kind of like some of the jobs that you're still doing, sales, marketing, et cetera. Okay. So everything in our world today has become political and I don't want this to become a political conversation, be it left or be it right. But let's get down to the American brass tacks because Americans tend to be a little bit uh, Yankee doodle dandy when it comes to worrying about jobs. How do you answer the question? Well, I'm never going to outsource because that's going to take away American jobs, or I can't believe that guy is outsourcing because that takes away American jobs. How do you answer that question to the average Joe who hasn't thought the whole process through? So, and, and what's interesting about that is I would say of all the inquiries we get from prospective clients, about 20% when they hear it's done overseas, the conversation is over. They just refuse to do it. But for those that raise the question and say, I really need to do this. My company could use a little bit of help, but I really don't like the idea of taking jobs away from Americans, which I'm 100% behind. I'll ask them how many employees they have. And if they tell me 15, my response is, well, if you're struggling and you don't make these changes, eventually all 15 people lose their job. So if one or two or three end up being offshored and those unfortunate few lose a job, it's preserving the other 12 and it keeps the company in business. So most companies come to us defensively, not because they're looking to be greedy and make more money, but they need to. They need to stay afloat, especially in what, what's going on with COVID. Well, I, I'm, again, I, I was thinking when we first started discussing you being on the program, I was 
absolutely one of those most skeptical people. It just doesn't sit well with me. Uh, you have turned me uh, all but 180 degrees. So, so let me ask you, how do, because I'll, I'll, I'll put it right out there. Uh, I use some of your services over the years and, and I didn't have the consistency from your offshore environment. It, 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 I didn't feel like the same designer was designing my work every time. And I'm a really hands-on guy. I have a high volume. For smaller photographers, that's not such a big deal because they're only doing an album a month or something of that nature. But now you tell me you have an operation where I can actually hire a full-time employee. Tell me how that works. Okay, so what, what happens is there's really two business models for a photographer. Let's say you're a photographer, you shoot 30 weddings a year and 20 of those clients buy albums. If you want to offload the album design, which could take a photographer's four, six, eight, 10 hours with revisions and have us do it for a fraction of the cost, you, you generally get the next designer in line. If you have some special instructions, we'll create a profile to try to match them. And that generally works well unless somebody's really, really particular about their needs. If it's a higher volume studio like yourself, you could actually hire a dedicated album designer, or a dedicated photo editor, or a dedicated video editor, and that would start even if you have enough work for 20 hours a week consistently. And what's great about that is you're training this person. They're effectively your employee. You don't have the, the HR liability, but they're trained and directed by you. And the cost ends up being a lot more reasonable. I mean, we bill out full-time designers and, and photo editors for $8.65 an hour with a commitment of 20 hours or more. So a lot of studios are looking at that going, okay, I personally don't want to do that as a business owner. And when I'm shooting and selling and my rates are, you know, 20 times that, why do I want to be doing this work when I can hire outside? And, and, and when you're doing that, I'm just going to ask questions because of the same questions that I asked you before. I, I do know the answers to these things, but I know that everybody else listening to this is asking, thinking the same questions. Mark, how are these people being treated? Are they getting vacation? Do they get medical leave? Do they, do they, uh, are they, is that money paying them at the top of the food chain or the bottom of the food chain? How, how are you handling this, especially with your CEO being so connected to the country? How, how do, tell me that I'm going to feel good in my my heart that I'm using this offshore company and these people are not being taken advantage of. You know, a lot of people that are outsourcing, there are services like Fiverr. You go out and hire somebody to do a logo design or some type of freelance work and you're getting people working out of their homes. They set the rates and, and that's one model. The model we have is our company's based in the capital city of Manila. We have an office building. We have pictures of it on our website. My, my business partner, Cherry, who is an, an HR person and a culture person at the core has created this amazing culture where everybody is treated really well. We pay a little bit more than the going rates because we want to make sure we attract the best talent. And we've got an office with what's called a commissary where, you know, we, we try to mimic a little bit of what goes on in Silicon Valley. You know, I've been out to Silicon Valley and they bring in lunch and breakfast and all that. And we try to do all those things and we do a lot of fun things. They have a great benefits package and, you know, we pay 100% of health insurance and just do a lot of nice things that a lot of the other outsource companies don't do. And as a result, we have... Uh, a pipeline of people waiting to work for us as soon as more jobs open up. So great question about that. But, you know, we were also a client of Outsource 
for many years. And we saw the pros and cons. And we saw that some companies did not treat their people very well. And there wasn't good management. And we heard all the complaints. And when we started our company, we set out to address every single one of those so that we would have happy employees who really cared about the company and were very loyal to us. So before we start wrapping this up, I just want to say to the listening audience, this is Mark Zucker again, zookbinders.com. To me, he's been an album guy, the backbone of my company for as long as I can possibly remember. Now he's got the new outsourcing company, uh, MCVO. And, and uh, is there a separate website for that, Mark, or are we still put, put, put people through zookbinder.com? It's a separate website. It's mcvotalent.com. Um, I, I cannot stress enough that if this is something that has uh, that has tickled anybody, if it's sparked a little bit of fire in you, uh, Mark is a great guy to talk to. I highly recommend uh, reaching out to him through either of the websites, talk to him personally. This is really great stuff. And I think for many of us in the photo industry, when life does come back, we're all going to have to make some serious adjustments, get out of our own comfort zone to be able to get back into our own comfort zone. So, uh, Mark, as we wrap up, just give me your feeling about where you see the wedding industry. How do you see uh, events? Uh, what do you think the timeline is looking like in your own? Hey, listen, none of us have a crystal ball. What's your feeling, Mr. Optimism, about uh, about what our industry is looking like in the future? So, you know, I, I check in with a couple of I mean, I speak to probably three to three to five photographers every day to try to take their pulse from all parts of the country. What I'm hearing today, mid-August, is about 30 to 40% of all the weddings that were scheduled for this time of year are actually taking place, which is much higher than it was one to two months ago when it was maybe 10 to 20%. It was just backyard weddings, outdoor small. So there seems to be a little bit of momentum there. I was driving around Chicago yesterday. I saw two wedding parties taking pictures, which made me smile. So people that want to get married are getting married. I, I, I definitely feel like we're going to get no more than 30, 40% through the end of the year, which means 2021 is by all, by all predictions should be a banner year. And I would hope by then we can get this figured out. So, you know, I feel like all of us went into this. It's just like what we see happening with retail. The companies that went into retail, or went into COVID like Victoria's Secret that was struggling, they were some of the first ones to shut down. It's the same thing with this industry. There's going to be a lot of companies folding, unfortunately, a lot of venues, a lot of photographers, a lot of album companies and photo labs. But the ones that stick around, even though they're going to come through this a little bloody, they will be there to attract all the new business that's now available to them. So it's really just about hoarding cash, staying viable, and coming up with a really smart plan once things start up again to revisit it and try to keep your cost structure down because you have to start making up for the profits that we all lost in the, you know from March of this year till March of next year. Well, I, I'll tell you the one the, the one glimmer of light that I'm seeing uh, repeatedly is vendors, uh, hoteliers, uh, clients' ability to have a little more elastic in the underwear, as we like to say, be a little more flexible. I saw something on the news this morning. Uh, that completely boggled my mind uh, from a, uh, from a, um, uh, how do I say this? A, a honest test of where the world is today at the historic four seasons hotel here in Washington, DC last night, 
um, which was uh, August 15th. We're recording this on the 16th. But last night at the Four Seasons Hotel, there was a fire uh, in the hotel. Everybody's okay. No, no, nothing, no calamity. But there were two weddings going on. And, uh, and one wedding they were able to, I'm not even sure how they did it. They pivoted and they were ended up being able to finish the wedding. But the other wedding was near where the fire was. The hotel was evacuated and they moved the entire wedding to the Watergate hotel on the other side of town. Now I got first, I I saw the news this morning. I reached out to uh, one of my colleagues uh, at Washington talent who told me he was the DJ at that event last night. And they literally boxed up the 25 person wedding and moved it across town from the four seasons to the Watergate hotel. Now I can't think in any time in my entire life, I have heard when an event happening in hotel one or venue number one, and something bad happens that they pick up the entire event midstream and move it to another venue. That, in my opinion, is that that walk on the sunny side of the street. We can get through this one step at a time. I hope you agree. That's a great story. Look, I think everybody is just motivated, right? For the for the bride and groom to have the courage to continue the wedding, despite the fact that some family and friends are probably telling them they're crazy and insensitive and how could they do this? It takes guts. These are the people with the can-do attitudes and, and the banquet hall and all the vendors are all cut from the same cloth. They want to see this happen. Obviously, everybody's concerned about safety, but if you have to have your wedding, the second half of it in a parking lot, that's what you have to do. And everybody's acceptable. I feel like, you know, the, the, the standards have changed. Nobody's upset anymore. If, if the food comes out, you know, 10 seconds too late, people are just so happy to get together and have social events again. I, I completely, I completely agree. And, and uh, it's, as I, as I say to you often, it's always nice to speak to somebody who carries the same kind of optimism about life as I do. Mark, I really wanted to thank you for, uh, uh, coming on the show, as you know, Visual Wow is just getting off the ground right now, and uh, uh, having my friends and, and my colleagues and my vendors uh, supporting Monica and I in this venture, uh, it, it means the world to us. Um, again, Mark Zucker, uh, the pioneer, the founder of Zook Binders, uh, and, and now the offshore company MCVO. Uh, again, I can't thank you enough for coming on the program. And uh, please, everybody, check them out at zookbinders.com. Mark, I want you to have a great uh, rest of your week. Uh, I hope things in Chicago fare through the way we are trying to here in D.C. And I uh, hope to have you back on the program when, when times get a little bit better and we can talk about the successes from all this great optimism that we had in, uh, in August. Jack, kudos to you for providing a lot of inspiration to a lot of people in our industry who are suffering and who are dealing with a lot of uncertainty. And we need to help provide, help to get everybody on that sunny side of the street. Roger that. Until next time, everybody, I'm Jack Hartsman. I really appreciate you tuning in. If you have any questions or comments, or you want to tell us about your wow events, check us out on visualwow.com. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Visual Wow. If you like what you heard, like us on Facebook, Twitter, and tell your friends. Go to visualwow.com for more info. If you didn't like what you heard, just keep it to yourself. Know a pro we should be talking to on the show? Drop us a line. Talk with you next time on Visual Wow.